1: Body wrappers, Angelo Luzio, makers of high quality total stretch tights, dancewear, performance wear, and Angelo Luzio shoes is a proud sponsor of this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Wrappers has Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, as its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premiere. Tyler's beautiful original designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body and won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers also makes apparel for ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip hop, tap, team, liturgical performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angelo Lucio shoes, all designed to enhance your experience while dancing. You may view all the products at BodyWrappers.com, or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to DancewearCorner.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro.
2: And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance.
1: Today on the Conversations on Dance podcast, we have a very special episode in store.
2: We are offering a preview of this weekend's Works in Process at the Guggenheim. Tanakiel Leclerc's The Ballet Cookbook, a 50th Anniversary Celebration. In 1967, ballerina Tanakiel Leclerc published The Ballet Cookbook, a fascinating compilation of ballet history, food stories, and recipes from over 90 leading dancers and choreographers of her generation, including George Balanchine, Jacques d'Amboise, Melissa Hayden, and Allegra Kent. For the book's 50th anniversary, food scholar Meryl Rossofsky is curating a program honoring Leclerc's artistic, literary, and culinary legacy as part of the Works in Process series at the Guggenheim Museum in New York City. Today, we talk with Meryl, who, as part of the event, will be sharing her findings from her Fall 2016 Fellowship at the Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU, where she delved into the cultural history of Tanakil's book. We are also joined by New York City Ballet Principal Dancer, Adrian Danzig-Werring, is a passionate at-home chef and has been working with Meryl to curate this event. Joining the pair at the Guggenheim on November 5th and 6th will be Jacques Dembois' and Allegra Kent, who were both at Tanakil's book signing 50 years ago, as well as New York City Ballet Principal Jared Angle, whom Meryl and Adrian reference often in this episode. This program will include discussions with the panelists, interspersed live performances, and the Wright Museum at the Guggenheim will serve select dishes from the ballet cookbook. Catch Meryl and Adrian at the Guggenheim this Sunday and Monday, November 5th and 6th at 7.30. For more information on Works in Process at the Guggenheim, go to worksinprocess.org. So thank you so much for uh, inviting us into your home, Meryl. It's so sweet of you to have us here. And it's always great to conduct these things live. So thank you.
3: We're thrilled to be here with you. Thank you. We are
2: with Adrian as well. So you will be uh, collaborating on an upcoming Works in Process at Guggenheim uh, event. And uh, the event is called Tannickeola Leclerc's the Ballet Cookbook, a 50th anniversary celebration. So um, obviously it's uh, an interest of an event of interest to anyone who loves ballet or cooking. So um, we're really happy to talk to you guys about it.
1: Yeah, so first off, we just wanted to take some time to get a little bit of background on the event. So let's start with you, Meryl. Um, You're a food scholar who first found this book in 2013. Is that correct?
3: Uh, I think, yeah, around 2012. So, So an initial inspiration for me was an event that Jared did with New York City Ballet at Guildhall in East Hampton And because it was hosted at a winery, Wolfer Estate, Jared wove a theme around the performance of uh, balancing food and wine. And that really. It sparked for me the realization that, wow, Balanchine was a devoted and amazing cook. People who had been his contemporaries and deep in the ballet world already knew that. But for me as a food person who loved ballet but wasn't steeped in the history, that this was uh, a revelation. And I soon after started Googling, you know, Balanchine and food. Could I find any recipes to make for a friend who was coming for dinner who was working on a a book on Balanchine? Mm -hmm. And that's how I discovered the ballet cookbook again back in 2012 mostly thanks to the work of uh, food of dance writer Ryan Wenzel and chef dancer Antonio Carmina and uh, Susan La Rosa who are hosting a an occasional series of dinners, each devoted to a different chapter in the ballet cookbook. So I wangled an invitation to one of those, and once you have the book in your hands, uh, let alone begin to cook from it, you just fall in love sure. with the cookbook and with the author, with Tannicul. So the that yeah that was the initial inspiration for me of, uh, you know, coming to the ballet cookbook as a historic document and as, you know, a living uh, cookbook from which we can learn a great deal of ballet history as well as culinary history. It it really becomes sort of this cultural culinary time capsule that we can unpack and, and learn from. So, I was then invited to do a fellowship last year in 2016 at the Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU uh, under Jennifer Homan's direction and delved much more deeply at the time into archival research and interviews to understand more about the context for the ballet cookbook. How did did it come about? You know, what are some of the stories that that are hidden within its pages? Mm -hmm. And I also began to realize as I was delving into uh, research around Balanchine's relationship to food and cooking uh, in particular, uh, that one could really map out you know, what I'm calling a culinary biography of Balanchine, uh, who who again d- devoted Cook and by understanding how and why he had the relationship to food that he did, you can understand so many of the cultural and political and geographic forces that shaped him as an artist. So we'll we'll actually be doing a, another program devoted completely to Balanchine and his relationship to food and cooking at works in process at the Guggenheim in spring keyed to the Russian Orthodox Easter because Balanchine's oh, annual wow. Russian Easter Feasts were right. legendary. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so this this program will really be about ballerina Tanakil Leclerc and her remarkable achievement, The Ballet Cookbook, which I think has not yet been given its due in uh, literary or culinary circles and is still somewhat obscure in, in today's ballet circles and has something of interest for people in all of those worlds. Uh, and then the the inspiration for framing this particular works and process at the Guggenheim event as a 50th anniversary celebration came from the fact that uh, in October 20, I'm sorry, October 1967, so 50 years ago, almost to the, to the week, Bloomingdale's hosted a book signing party to officially launch the ballet cookbook. The copyright date on the book is 1966, but it didn't come out until late August of 67. Tannehill herself was rather annoyed that the publisher couldn't change the copyright date. She feared that (laughs) upon its release, it would already appear dated. Uh Uh, We we learned this from her personal notes to the publisher that I found in in an archive from, from, from the publisher up at Columbia. So, uh, so we have this, you know, this book signing, very big, exciting event 50 years ago at Bloomingdale's, and it was attended not only by Tannekiel, but also by her good friends and ballet cookbook contributors, Melissa Hayden, Jacques Tamboise, and Allegra Kent. So we're so, so, so lucky and happy and grateful that Jacques and Allegra will be joining us for this works in process program and ballet cookbook celebration.
2: That's so wonderful. So interesting. I mean, I love that, um, you know, you can unearth something that's more or less maybe forgotten about that you can go to and find, go find something like her letters to her editor and have that dynamic sort of fleshed out a little more. Um, So Adrian, uh, how did you first start to explore uh, cooking?
0: Uh, Like at my mother's hip, I started cooking in the kitchen. Um, And there are still some primary, like ways to prepare pretty much any dish that my mom taught me, the sort of like rudimentary sort of building blocks for cooking, which was essentially always just sautéing garlic and olive oil to start anything. Right. But I also, I grew up in Northern California, and so it was a very seasonal approach to food. at a time like long before i had any awareness of like what the slow food movement was or sort of these more recent urban trends in food culture um and so it was always just a passion and a a form of therapy a sort of an outlet Mm -hmm. um and i've been lucky in my life in new york to have outdoor space for the last many years so i started a small herb plot Mm I had some lettuce beds and the, the sort of marginal pleasure of harvesting, you know, cilantro and bringing it in for food prep was like a great sort of, um, escape from the, the grind of New York life and performance life.
1: Um, how did you become involved in this particular project and then a part of this, um, show that you guys will be doing at the Guggenheim?
0: I think Meryl could probably speak to that.
3: Yeah. So, so. Adrian had been one of the first people I interviewed last year during my fellowship at the Center for Ballet and the Arts. And we had such a wide-ranging, stimulating, thoughtful conversation. He's, as we all know, brilliant and articulate and has, you know, a great uh, relationship to the world around him, including, you know, food and gardening. We talked about the the ethics and the culture of growing your own food and how that relates to Balanchine's love of gardening and it was just very inspiring wonderful conversation and Jared I owe as I mentioned earlier so much of my initial inspiration for the you know my my broader project what I am calling Breaking Bread with Balanchine I don't think I would have known uh, to, to go down that that you know path of inquiry around Balanchine and cooking were it not for uh, for jared's turning me on to that uh and he he too obviously you know brilliant great partner super thoughtful and articulate and they are both passionate gifted cooks who can also speak to the devotion many of their fellow dancers have to cooking and food you know because the the question always inevitably comes up from a lay uh, you know from non-dancers, but wait, you know, food and ballet, isn't that an oxymoron? I right, thought right. dancers don't <laughs> eat. And of course, as Tannekiel describes beautifully in the preface to her book, and as Jared and Adrian can attest and share from experiences with their fellow dancers, male and female, and I'll acknowledge that there might be some differential pressures based, based on gender. Uh, of course, dancers eat. And uh, first of all, they need to fuel their body for performance. They're elite. You guys are elite athletes, and there's also, you know, I think many of the same impulses that connect us to culture and the arts also, you know, are, are found in the culinary arts and, and the, the world of food as a way to civilize and elevate our human experience, to connect us to other people, to provide joy and meaning and beauty and nourishment of the soul as, as well as physical. Nourishment. So I thought Jared and Adrian would just be very fun to work with, and bring you know wonderful perspective and their their eloquence, and uh, also there there is a. Uh, a performative component to our program at Works in Process at the Guggenheim. will be sharing several very short excerpts, or as Duke Dang from Works in Process calls them, dance morsels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's been invaluable for me to, uh, to be able to collaborate with Jared and Adrian on uh, the, the casting and the uh, honing of the excerpts from the repertory and soon getting into the production aspects around music and lighting and costumes and cues
2: yeah, I, I'm very interested in knowing how uh, these excerpts are going to be woven into the evening. Um, how do you find this balance between the discussion of food and then segueing into uh, little bits and pieces?
0: Well, I think merrill has been very um, focused in structuring the evening around the contributions uh, of, of tanny's aspects of the cookbook i mean as the author but also her specific recipes um melissa hayden's recipes and jacques and allegra's and what's wonderful is that jacques and allegra are able to be at the performance be able to sit on that panel and so the idea was to present excerpts of works uh, in which they'd originated roles right. Um, So that there was some sort of reflection of their stage persona, some part of that facet of their identity in addition to this more intimate food-related. And
3: in particular also repertory where there might have been an amusing anecdote or food story or biographical reference in Tenkill's chapter on that particular uh, dancer. So we can... You know, really in, interweave the ballet cookbook as literature and history, and uh, and a, a food book with the the performance element. Yes. And I have a scoop for you guys on the rep. Give us I, the scoop. Okay, oh, great! Yeah. I I okay. do yes. Okay. <laughs> so the way most of the rep developed was I I started with a wish list, calling from iconic roles that Allegra, Tankeel, Jacques, and Melissa each originated since they were the four present at that book signing 50 years earlier. But I don't know enough about each piece to know what works well in an excerpt, what translates well to a much smaller stage than that at Lincoln Center, etc. So uh, Adrian was traveling, I think it was late summer. Jared was on the east end of Long Island, and came to visit for an afternoon on Shelter Island, and we just sort of started, sort of went through my wish list as he said, whittled it down. He made a couple of wonderful uh, proposed additions, including Boré Fantasque, that I understand you would have yes. done, which would have been exciting. Yeah. But we're we're holding that. I'll tell you about that <laughs> later. That that'll be a, a an off the record scoop. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but one piece that was really on my wish list, but seemed. Uh, very unlikely, was to see if we could revive or actually reconstruct Gluttony from The Seven Deadly Sins, the 1958 Balanchine version. Of course, he had first done it in 1933, redid it for Allegra in 1958. It was the hit of that season, the company's 10th anniversary. But sadly, over time, most of the choreography has been lost. I asked Allegra, whether she thought she might remember enough of the gluttony segment to reconstruct it. And she, she did, she said that Balanchine's instruction to her had been to just sort of do Pilates. And it's really more, uh, kind of stage acrobatic movement rather than, uh, flowy choreography. And once, once, you know, the dramatic setup, you know, it, it, it seemed seemed doable, and uh, very generously the balancing trust gave us the go ahead to incredible. to reconstruct this piece. So wow. it's being worked on as we speak. And I was so keen for gluttony for for a few reasons. One, the obvious it overtly addresses themes of sure. food indulgence, uh, the conflicted or ambiv- ambivalent relationship to food uh, that that is part and parcel of the world of eating and, and the world of dancing, even though you know, as we said in the beginning, many, if not most, dancers do love food and do do love to, to eat. Uh, but there is also a charming, wonderful anecdote in the Allegra chapter in Tannequilles. Book specifically about gluttony, and she interweaves it with, uh, you know, some very Allegra-esque story, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and all of a sudden we wind up at Allegra's recipe for ice cream cake. So this beautiful integration of the uh, of, of the work of art and the the recipe and the the story in the cookbook all coming together. That's so, so.
0: great. Are
1: you involved in that process at all, Adrian? <laughs> uh,
0: not not specifically, but yeah. we had a brunch meeting this past oh. weekend, um, and I saw Allegra's sketches of how to build the cake, right? Which is this sort of you know very nineteen fifties domed sure. structure, and it led to her sharing an anecdote about coming back from a company tour in California.
3: I think so. With
0: forty pounds of ice cream on dry ice. Um, and I think we can all relate at various points. I was I was sort of commiserating that my first tour with City Ballet was to uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I had a lot of space in my theater case, and I filled it all with bottles of Russian standard vodka. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like everyone just kind of picks their poison. Sure, yeah. Sure.
3: Yeah. Right. And awesome. as we experienced right. at at our brainstorming lunch a couple of days ago, vodka can be put to all kinds of good culinary use, we, one of the dishes we, we had at this lunch was George cabin and Marjorie Tallchief's gazpacho, which seemed well ahead of its time in American food culture. I don't think gazpacho was really something you'd pick up and find in most cookbooks. Mm-hmm. Sure. and. I've often seen people add sherry to it, but in their case, I guess given Russ Russian roots, uh-huh. they soaked pieces of toast in vodka and then ground it in with the tomato and cucumber, and it was absolutely it was delicious. Oh my gosh, how funny
2: is that? <laughs> so, what do you think? I mean, I'm sure you know this. Answer. What do you think? Why did um, what compelled Tanny to write this? Why, why did she begin to compile these recipes, and what was her inspiration? So
3: I think there were several catalyst for it. The most proximal, of course, was her relationship at this point, her marriage with Balanchine. In 1955, when they're, you know, maybe three three years into their marriage, she is still very much uh, a sous chef to his chef in the kitchen. He's giving her instruction, but she's deferring to him for any more complicated dish or when, when they're having special company over, and they entertained and cooked often. By 1958, three three years later, if you read her correspondence with her friends uh, Arthur Gold and Robert Fisdale, a concert piano duo who were also gastronomes and eventually cookbook authors and close friends of both Balanchine's and Leclerc's, in her letters to, to Gold and Fisdale, she's constantly enumerating the lavish dishes that they're serving, say for Christmas dinner with Stravinsky or the pates that she's making for Jerry, of course, Jerry Robbins, or the tartlet pan she just treated herself to. So food and cooking is becoming a big part of her artistic and creative and social life and something she talks about avidly and and frequently. Then of course, we all know the tragedy of her fate that in 19. Fifty-six while on tour with New York City Ballet in uh, Western and then uh, later, uh, yes, no, Western Europe, she's felled by polio and paralyzed from the waist down, never to dance again. So in 1962, she and Balanchine are still together. She's no longer dancing. Balanchine and the company are going on an extended tour about three months to that this is the tour to Western and parts of Eastern Europe, the momentous homecoming to the Soviet Union. And Balanchine is concerned that Tanakil might be bored during his extended absence. So I'm not sure whether she had already put the word out to her fellow dancers and choreographers around the world And was already receiving recipes or if that really was the initial spark. But we do know, and I've spoken with Barbara Horgan, who was uh, assistant company manager at the time, later Balanchine's longtime assistant and now, of course, head of the Balanchine Trust. Barbara was asked by Balanchine to come over to, to the apartment and sit with Tanny in the kitchen a couple of hours in the afternoon, two or three times a week while He and the company were were off on this tour and go through the handwritten recipes that had come in on index cards and scraps of paper written in longhand, you know, barely legible with measurements that were hard to decipher and Barbara typed up these recipes and and so we know that she was at work on the book by 1962. We also know it was a prodigious undertaking so I'm not surprised that it didn't come out until 1967. There are hundreds and hundreds of recipes (laughs) from over 90 dancers and choreographers the book itself runs to 424 pages in length and interestingly you know particularly for us in this age of food porn with images (laughs) everywhere you look there's barely a single picture of food it's almost all pictures of dancers in performance Uh in the studio in rehearsal uh so, so it it really is an encyclopedic compendium of ballet history as well as food. So it was an enormous undertaking. Uh, so, so I think that th- those were the Genesis. And I, I spoke last week with a woman named uh, Jean Fuchs, who was thanked in Tanikil's acknowledgments as Jeanie Thomas, and uh, she's a treasure. It turns out that she was good friends with Martha Swope who was also good friends with Tannequille and who supplied many of the photographs in the book. And Jean ended up being the recipe tester for Balanchine's recipes in the book because the way his recipes were turning out in the hands of the publisher's recipe tester were not up to his standards. <laughs> so Gene shared also that she thinks, you know, that that part of how and why Tannequille embraced that this project of the ballet food Food book uh, the ballet cookbook was that she had had success a couple of years earlier with her book, her first book, Morca: The Autobiography of a Cat, <laughs> filled with Martha Swope's images and Tanaquill's witty, utterly charming and win- winning prose. Oh. and that this really helped her, as Jean Fuchs describes it, come out of her shell after this long period of, you know, just unspeakable transition and, and sadness and not wanting to be out in the world all that much. She really enjoyed the success she had with the Morka book and the the ballet cookbook was her next and, and bigger foray out into the, the world of literature and the, the world of life around her again.
1: As this week's episode illustrates, dancers love to eat, and many of us love to cook as well. And if you aren't as much of an experimental chef as Meryl and Adrienne are, you may need a little help. So, we have the perfect solution for you. Now you can skip grocery shopping and meal planning, but still make fresh, home-cooked meals every night for you and your family with Blue Apron. At Blue Apron, they are trying to change the way we get our food and how these ingredients are sourced. They have partnered with over 150 farms nationwide, allowing them to cut out the middleman and deliver fresh and nutritious meals right to your door. The best part is they only send you exactly what you need of each ingredient, eliminating unwanted food waste. And now we are happy to offer a special $30 off your first order for all of our listeners when you visit conversationsondancepod.com slash blueapron. Take advantage of this offer now and next week you could be enjoying delicious meals that can be made in 30 minutes or less and taste like you are in the kitchen for hours. See what everyone is talking about and sign up today for $30 off your first order. Visit conversationsondancepod.com slash blueapron to get started today and to explore next week's menu and support the business Businesses that support conversations on dance.
2: With over ninety people, you said contributing, there yes. must be some people that would surprise us. Of course, you have you know you have Jacques and Melissa Hayden and the the usual suspects that you might pick out. But I'm wondering who were some of the people that you found to be most um, surprising in the book. So
3: there are contributions from people like Massine or Nureyev Mm -hmm. or Fontaine who were not avowed food lovers or or cooks, certainly. And you can always tell by the number of recipes and the specificity of of the instructions, whether or not this is a food person or this is a friend of Tanny's who didn't want to let her down and sent something along. so <laughs> But but, but there's still very telling contributions. And in the case of Leonid massine he, he really didn't provide a, a recipe in the, the strictest sense. He just said that he likes green sauces. And well, what did that mean? We knew, you know, that they knew at the time it wouldn't have, meant the same thing as Balanchine's Georgian green sauces made with coriander and other herbs. What what was he talking about? Well, they knew that he loved pasta. He ate a lot of spaghetti before performance. He was one of the few performers who ate a big meal right before going on stage, oh, wow. steak or spaghetti. Uh-huh. So Jean Jean Thomas, Jean, Jean Fuchs, was an avid reader, a very good cook herself, and an avid reader of gourmet who had come upon and frequently made pesto, this, this was the 1960s. It was not yet part of our uh, culinary vernacular in, in this country widely. So she suggested to Tanny that maybe the green sauce could be a pesto Genovese. And, and that's how Massine's recipe came about. And then maybe another surprise, Agnes DeMille. I don't associate her with food necessarily, but her recipes are very Texan and you know th- things with Beans and chili and, uh-huh. and foods that are emblematic of, of her roots. Right. So
1: you talk about in the essay that you had sent us ahead of this, you talk about how this really is a culinary tour through all of these dancers and their backgrounds. So it really is like you're mentioning really a picture of all the communities that came together at this time. So what was maybe some of the most surprising, you mentioned Texas, what were some of the most surprising, maybe like out there recipes that surprised you?
3: Uh, Well, we, not to put poor Jacques on the spot, but (laughs) uh, Texas uh, rears its culinary head again. He has a recipe for Texas jelly that, that Came to him by way of his wife, Carrie, who, who I, guess, I think was, was from Texas. And certainly, any kind of jello mold was a recipe very much of its time. Yeah. Uh, so, so, <laughs> so, that's one unusual or peculiar recipe. There's a recipe that's not in here in the Robert Joffrey chapter. So Joffrey did have a strong food connection. He, like a couple of other contributors, had uh, a father who was either a cook or a restaurateur. I think John Terrace's father was a cook. Uh, A a couple of others came from restaurant families. And Robert Joffrey's father was from Afghanistan and owned a chili parlor in Seattle. Oh, wow. And... Unfortunately, that chili recipe doesn't appear in the ballet cookbook. A couple Mm -hmm. of other, you know, maybe Afghani-influenced recipes, like a a recipe for stuffed eggplant with with spices does make it in. But, you know, the the cookbook becomes a, a treasure hunt. When you start asking these questions and thinking about what's in it, you can find all sorts of things. So in the case of Robert Joffrey and the famous chili parlor that his father ran, it turned out that the recipe for that chili was so important to Joffrey and his brother that they both carried around in their back pocket as an emblem of what gave them success in America. And in fact, you could argue that the very founding of his dance company owes its existence to that chili recipe because it provided the income and stability for the family. And the chili parlor happened to be their upper downstairs from a dance studio. So young Robert Joffrey filled his time, not only hanging out at his father's restaurant, but taking dance classes. Gosh, I love that. That's so great.
1: So what process have you guys gone through, the two of you in particular, um, to maybe try some of these recipes? Have you tried any maybe that you've cooked or like you guys mentioned the brunch you had the other day?
0: Meryl's Meryl's really driving the bus.
3: <laughs> well, I can't wait to cook with you, though. We we I, I've cooked for you a couple of times. We had a dinner last year with uh, at Edward Valella mm-hmm. that that you joined for, and we made a couple of his recipes, right. his curried
0: uh, chicken recipe that he had no memory of having ever made made or contributed God. to the cookbook. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, that's too. But funny. it was quite delicious.
3: It was
0: quite good. It was quite good. I will say, I'm I'm not a recipe following. Kind of guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: So you're in good company with Balanchine, who very rarely cool. consulted recipes except for this book by a woman called The Russian Fanny Farmer. Other than that, he was very intuitive, natural cook. So that's your style. Jared once described to me, uh, Adrian's cooking as magical.
0: Oh, so, oh, that's a <laughs> great praise.
2: <That's> <laughs> what do you think it is about cooking that uh, appeals to dancers in particular? We are certainly you know we can be obsessive with food but you know why why pick up that sort of hobby as opposed to anything else it does seem like something that comes up over and
0: over yeah well i think the kind of clearest line is from a place of like nourishment mm-hmm. right because you you think of your body as like this instrument or this machine that requires fuel mm-hmm. and it's just such broad demands right and so in, in order to like replace that um, food becomes a sort of fetish, fetish object and also necessity. Mm-hmm. And I think that the ballet cookbook really has a an, an undercurrent, a sort of line of continuity about c- the community that's generated around food, mm-hmm. about breaking bread, about sharing that space with the people you love. And so I think for Tanny it was a way of maintaining an active presence in the broader dance community globally Mm -hmm. um when she could no longer physically dance uh and i'm just thinking for for us and and part of jared jared and my sort of enthusiasm for this project has really been magnified by the our saratoga seasons over the last few years Um, because about five years ago we found a historic home on a 300 acre farm just south of Saratoga, and it suddenly clicked why Balanchine wanted the company to have this residency, how important it was for the sustained sense of a family, really. And so we now live on this farm, uh, about 12 dancers, and all of our meat, all of our dairy, most of our produce comes from that land. And we have developed these almost um, theatrical rituals around our Family meals. Uh-huh. Um, so on any given night, is this interesting to talk about? So yeah, interesting. Okay. I, love it. I love to hear um, this. <laughs> on any given night, whoever's not performing is responsible for dinner, and we kind of draft that out like as soon as casting comes out. Oh, that's so great, um, And it involves like days of preparation to the farmers mm-hmm. market, or you know whatever marinades need to be produced. And uh, as people will come home from the show, like whoever has the first ballet will come in the door and everyone in the kitchen will applaud for them and hand them a cocktail. And then they will get to work helping plate things or garnish dishes. And then the next wave of folk will come back from the theater and they'll get a round of applause and a drink. And and so it continues that way until the final person comes home. And then we, uh, in Downton Abbey fashion, will say, shall we go through? And everyone leaves the kitchen through this sort of revolving door into the dining room. And it becomes this very intentional family dinner.
1: That's so lovely. I love, that. I love that. And that's the thing. It sounds like also, as we know, that was something that was very important to Balanchine to have these kind of community dinners and to eat all together and have that experience together. So I love that. That's something you guys are implementing. And so my other question is, I I have a feeling that a lot of these um, recipes are not necessarily healthy. Is that correct? <laughs> so what do we think about that? And Adrian, are these dishes that you're making at the family dinners, are they healthy?
0: Rarely. Rarely. Uh. Rarely. Although Jared Jared is, has been a vegetarian for the last few years. Uh-huh. And I think that we all like are, you know, Farm family, New York City ballet farm family <laughs> um have all been very influenced by the Yotem Ottolenghi cookbooks oh, okay. and so much of that Israeli influence is vegetable focused right um, I think that this practice always happens at the peak of summer produce too, so it's really easy to be farm to table in our right. approach um but we also. Or you know, producing like really highly caloric meat dishes <laughs> at, the gonna, yeah. you you at the same time. Yeah, you need it. feed your blood. And I perfected my butter crust, so it's like pie season.
3: Ooh, too. okay.
0: So everything in balance. Yeah. Adrian
3: and his mom made this beautiful, delicious apple galette the other day. That was quite, quite delicious. Uh-huh. And uh, my my husband and I started a uh, an event a few years ago called culinary choreography. As a fundraiser for the dancer wellness fund, and it was really inspired by the realization that so many of today's dancers also really love to cook or quite passionate about it. Rebecca Krohn shows shows up with her own set of knives, and we always ask the dancers to choose the menu. And I'm always like, "How many donuts can you guys eat?" (laughs) (laughs) A lot, you know. I think because you burn so many calories, you know, and, and. it is about the pleasure and joy and indulgence of food, not mm-hmm. always or only about maintaining a certain you know, nutritional profile and, and body weight, and you know, it's in line with my personal motto, which I attribute to Oscar Wilde, all good things in moderation, right. including moderation. Mm-hmm. So to your question <laughs> about uh, the recipes in the ballet cookbook, on first glance you think, oh, my God, everything is a pound of butter, two pounds of sour cream, it's all, like, white and 90% that yeah. and that's why it's so delicious but on more careful going through and now experiencing the recipes a number of them are relatively healthful and completely palatable to a modern uh, a modern diner and i've whenever i do make a dish from from the ballet cookbook I resist the urge to modernize or modify it It, at most. I'll cut the amount of salt or maybe reduce the amount of butter a little bit. Mm -hmm. But even if the technique or the process seems surprising or unlikely to me, I follow it and uniformly I've been so happily surprised. They they're delicious. And at, at the lunch we had the other day, I think it was quite, quite a healthful spread with between the scabine and, and tall chief Gaspacho Violette Verdi's carotte au citron, where her innovation that I never would have dreamed would work, but I thought was fabulous. She takes a whole lemon, skin, seeds, and all grinds it in either a meat grinder or blender and tosses that with the shredded carrot and just a pinch of salt, not even a drizzle of olive oil. and It was fantastic. It was wow. refreshing. So, it was huh. bright. Huh. So, so I think that one can cook from this book and – not feel like you have to then spend a week at a spa detoxing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So I think maybe just as our last question to wrap it up, I was wondering, is there one particular um, recipe from this book that you have incorporated into your constant everyday cooking?
3: <laughs> so I like to experiment with new dishes all of the time. So it would be very rare and usual for me to make the same thing more than a couple of times. Good for you. I <laughs> always get in the same rut all yeah. the time. <laughs> and so it's, it, 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 I have to say it was a little unnerving or maybe an act of chutzpah to host Jacques for the first time for dinner and prepare, not only prepare his blender bernaise, but do it a la minute in front of him with <laughs> him watching. But because the recipes work... Uh, it, it was totally successful. It was a stable emulsion. It was totally delicious and something I would absolutely make again in a heartbeat. Although he said the other day that, yeah, it works in the blender, but really you should do it by hand. It's much better, you know, oh, no. you have a, a, a greater depth to the reduction. And he's right. <laughs> uh, but th- I think there are certain dishes that I'll incorporate to family celebrations because in our case, my husband's mother is Melissa Hayden. Mm-hmm. And she was a wonderful cook, her uh, her name by birth was Mildred Herman. So her dishes reflect her East European Ashkenazi Jewish heritage. And I don't think I'm going to fill the bathtub with water and uh, bop carp over the head to grind <laughs> fish for goodwill <laughs> fish anytime soon. But her potato latkes are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're coming up to Hanukkah Susan. And her, you know, it, many of the dancers do have their own little special tip or technique. Or trick that they incorporate that gives it their own unique signature and in her case the egg white she beats until uh stiff or soft peaks before folding it into the uh the shredded potato batter and it really does make for an, an incredibly fluffy and at the same time crisp potato pancake so oh. that that's one we'll try it out yeah. at least annually yeah. and tannicule leclerc's great great grandmother blackwell's eggnog, which Tanaquil says she improved by doubling the amount of Roman whiskey. <laughs> 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 I, I think that that will be a, a, an annual seasonal favorite. That, like that might be the first one I'm going to try. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Adrienne, is there something that you're going to add to your Saratoga family meals?
0: I don't know. O'Mara was kind enough just to lend me a copy of her mm-hmm. cookbook, but I can't afford it on the open market. This oh, was
1: another yeah. point we wanted to bring up. Yeah, so you were telling us earlier. Yeah,
3: so when the book launched, it it was selling its list price in 1967 was nine ninety five, which was actually considerably more than other books mm-hmm. at at the time, even other, other uh, photo heavy cookbooks. And the price escalated to twelve ninety five at Christmas. So act now. <laughs> I bought my first copy in around 2012 for seventy five or seventy nine. Dollars, And by this summer, they were going for many hundreds of dollars. And now with the attention being brought to the Ballet Cookbook, thanks to our program at Works in Process at the Guggenheim, Amazon is selling it through third-party sellers for $995 on up to almost $1,600. A few days ago, there were two sellers in France offering it for over $2,500 dollars.
1: Do we know if people are so, buying
3: it at this price? They must be. People are buying it at wow. this price, Brandy. but it it breaks my heart that it's not accessible. Right. Widely to, accessible. Two more people. So sure. one of my dreams, one of my goals, part of my, my project is to hopefully help bring the book back into print with framing essays and mm-hmm. annotations. Mm-hmm. So I still have to work on the, the rights to it and, and some some other aspects and, and talk with publishers. But that, that's my goal and my dream. And I think that we're seeing what, what, uh, what eager, avid acceptance that there will be yeah,
1: you can't say there's not interest in it, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, when market. I first
3: started talking to publishers and literary agents a year or two ago, they said, you know, it's a double niche market. Who's going to buy the book? And now I think that we can make a much stronger argument, <laughs> which is <laughs> amazing. great. And it, may I just share one, one yes. other thought for, for people who are lucky enough to have the book or, or who will eventually get their hands on it? That for me, the experience of both reading the chapters and the stories and Cooking the recipes, the food from uh, the the greats of Tanakil's dance era. What what struck me the first couple of times I was literally going through the same movements that Alexandra Danilova mm-hmm. might have been, you know, going through in her kitchen. That. I was like, wow, it's, we're really kind of communing with our dance ancestors. And then I coined the term "ancestors," and I really see this as a way to commune with, learn about, and honor our dancestors. That's beautiful. And, of course, Tanaquil LeClaire, because she is so brilliant. Um, you know, Her book is suffused with wit and humor and graciousness, and at no point does she belie the tragedy of her circumstances. And mm-hmm. I think the book is therefore also very brave, as I think she was. And I think she deserves to be celebrated both for uh, her life as an artist and for her life as a writer and a, um, a very serious food person. That's
1: great. Well, thank you thank so you much, so for, this much pre- for joining you. us. And really thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. you guys. Good luck thank you. with the thank presentations.
3: You, Dave. Thanks. <laughs>
1: If you are new to Conversations on Dance, welcome. We are happy to have you. We hope that if you have enjoyed this episode or other recent episodes, that you will take a moment to explore some of our older content. Visit our website or click See More Episodes in the iTunes app to find our chats with names like Misty Copeland, Sarah Mearns, Joaquin Deleuze, Peter Boll, Julie Kent katherine morgan and so many others tune in now and let us know what you think by rating us on itunes or contacting us through social media you can find us at at conversations on dance thanks for joining us this week see you next time
3: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time